The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, disassemble your Lego Mindstorm air conditioner and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 592 with guest Pat Hines, recorded live Saturday, June 26, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Silverlight 4 video training with Billy Hollis on DVD, ENR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Haystack Code Generator for .NET. Code generation on steroids. Online at CodeHaystack.com And now, the man who while hunting saw a sign that said, Bear left, so he went home, Carl Franklin! Hey, I'm here. We're here. Nice We're... of you to come by. I'm sorry. You know, I, I realized I didn't have a cup of coffee. Oh. And then uh, I had made a pot of coffee. But it's been so long since I made a pot with my Cuisinart, you know, sort of all-in-one grinder brewer that I think some coffee grounds got lodged in the filter thing or something. Uh, and so what I ended up with was a pot of, you know, lightly brown-toned hot water. Nice. Yeah. So I had to run out. I figured you guys would be mainlining coffee this whole weekend. Yeah, we are. Um, we'll, we'll fix that. Some other time. Yeah. But I do have a one-off <laughs> coffee cup maker. So like a Keurig machine. Oh, uh, okay. So there you go. And well, I, I got I to gotta announce, first of all, thank you for listening. If you're up this early, I can't believe you must be. But So, Pat, what are you working on these days? Yeah. Well, we're just about, there's actually two major things. The One is the, the lockdown podcast, uh, which we're hoping to start broadcasting soon right. uh, with Michelle LaRubus-Demonte. You've got a yeah. few shows in the can now. And it's a security-oriented um, podcast, right? Very much so. Yeah, I've got, we're, Carl's helping me conquer the uh, the microphone beast. Um, so I had to order new equipment, and, and, and it's a big bad beast too. Let oh me tell my. you. Well, I, I, we, you know, he, yesterday I don't know what was going on, but I'm just I just ordered new equipment. So um, hopefully that'll be out. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, Michelle has a uh, a new security um, business that she's working on as well. Right, and and, and all my endeavors focus around the security. So uh, we're kind of excited to be talking about all the luminaries, Keith Brown, um, Paul uh, Yank- Yankiewicz. Januowski. Januowski. You were close. No, no, wait. That's, it's a different Paula. And, but she's also from Poland. 
It's not Paul Janiewski. Yeah, right? it is. It is? Yeah. Yeah, it is. She, <laughs> okay. And, that, I'm sorry. and that's the same girl who, you know, entered Speaker Idol a couple of times. And No, yep. that's not her. That's her. So It is her. All right. So, yeah, so we were mistaken. No, that is I, her. When I talked to Pat, I thought I, he didn't know that she did Speaker Idol, so we thought it was somebody else. Same oh, girl. No, it's hard to imagine, but it is literally the yeah. same girl. All right. Cool. And the first guest is Carl. Yeah, of course. Are you, know. you really? Yeah. Because yeah. I know so much about security. You're a very you know? secure person. That I much am very I know. Secure. Yeah. <laughs> we figured we would start with uh, with the person who knows everything about everything in, in the .NET world because he's talked to everybody about everything in the .NET world and see how much people don't know about security. Well, so. I am a generalist, <laughs> and I know one thing, that developers hate security. Yeah, and it, so it actually set the tone quite well. So, so that's one major effort. And then the other is I'm trying to push a product out the door. Um, as you may know, I left critical sites on very good terms. They're still doing well. Uh, and I pursued an old company that I've been running in the background thread for a long time called DTS. Uh, if, you, if you've seen any of the How Do I videos, uh, a good chunk of the How Do I videos that are on Silverlight.net, ASP.net, even on MSDN. What are the How Do I videos? Uh, there's small chunks of, of data, um, a presenter, an MVP, an RD, or somebody who's involved in the community um, works with us and uh, creates a video that shows how to do something. And uh, Microsoft is directing the project with us, and um, we create these videos for for the community sites and for Microsoft's uh, main properties. Very high standards about you know how they're going to work and uh, what they what they're going to show, etc. Um, and we've done, I think we've done 1,500 of them so far. Wow. Are you Microsoft. kidding me? And, no. And they're quick, too, right? They're, they're 5, 10 minutes? They're, they're 8 to 15 most of the time. We have some that are 35, 40 minutes because the, you can't get some things done unless you're, we're tackling very hard topics in some cases. Right. Um, so some of them do get a little long in the tooth, but, but they're quite useful. I, I've even used them for my stuff. So, DTS is a producer of those. It does security audits. It does a lot of the things that critical sites used to do. Um, and then uh, we're, we're actually a product company as well. We've been working on a product um, since last summer um, that's going to solve the problem of security ownership in uh, large file systems. So one of the things that I noticed in my travels, because I do a lot of stuff with uh, data uh, security as well as general coding security, is that Ownership of files is one of those dirty little secrets on most networks. Most of the time, uh, the data on a on a 50 terabyte network has been migrated one or more times. Right. And most of the time in those migrations, the administrator ends up owning everything. Or a user who no longer works for the company or who no longer works in the department owns all the most important files. Yeah, yeah. right. And ownership is one of those things that everybody ignores because... Um, it's hard. It's hard to go through and set ownership correctly because the tools just aren't there. So we built a rules-based um, utility that has uh, really interesting capabilities, such as um, I can say I want everyone to own their home directory and everything in it, and it'll go through. You pick which drives you want it to apply to, and it'll go in and make uh, look in Active Directory, figure out what their home directory is, and make sure that user owns everything in it. That makes things like Quota software, chargeback software, and all the other storage management products that have been coming out over the last five to ten years work much better. Hey, by the way, uh, Malcolm Smith from Australia says, Hi, guys. We hear you here in Australia loud and clear. It's 10 o'clock p.m. Nice music, Carl. Also, can we buy a CD of your band? Uh, not yet. You will be able to, but it's good to know that Australia is listening. That Sorry, is awesome. Go ahead. 
No, no, that's it. That's uh, so. That's the first product, um, and the second product we're probably going to be doing is uh, we had to build a licensing system for that product, um, and so we looked around at the various licensing systems that ISVs were able to buy, and we weren't really thrilled with the offering. So we built our own, and we're considering making that a, uh, a public offering as well. That's this is not the first. Um... Uh, security tool that you've built. I mean, you you did a lot of work at Critical Sites building security tools, right? Yeah, we had uh, Critical Sites. We also had NTP Software, the sister company for Critical Sites, um, owned by my really good friend NT, uh, of NTP Software, Bruce Baca. Um, they are a product company, 100%, and, and NTP Software and Critical Sites are kind of sister companies. Um, Bruce has always run a consulting company with a software company so that the weaknesses of each actually turn into strengths for each other. Uh, it's a very interesting model, and I'm, I'm trying to follow in that those footsteps by having the consulting side of DTS work with the, the software side of DTS to cancel out the uh, weaknesses. Can we, talk so about when, any, can we talk about any of those products? Yeah, we certainly we could, yeah. I remember uh, the one that you were working on, like in .NET 1.0 or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... It's about so storage th- or something like that? That's where my storage management background comes from. Storage I learned reporter? My, um, so that, that was the original, that was an original, um, attempt, yes. Uh, and that, then that was sold off to another company and they've since gone into other reporting systems that are based on .NET. So right now, um, what, what NTP is building or, or working on is they're taking their storage management reporting product called, um, storage modeling and analysis and they're redoing it to be, um, called file reporter. And I, I really, really hope I'm not outing things that I shouldn't uh, before they're announced. But it's, I'm really excited about it because it's going to um, – it takes all the goodness of storage M&A, and we've implemented that for some of the largest banks and largest in, industrial uh, manufacturers in the world. Uh, and I still work with um, NTV Software pretty regularly in consulting for large companies. What's, um, what's storage M&A? Modeling and analysis. Basically, oh, M&A. You, you've got – You've got a hundred terabytes of storage and you want to know, you know, what are people doing with it? And should I be going and hitting them with two by fours because of it? Well, and how many times, even in your own machine, you know, you've seen, I'm down to a gig. What's eating up my 500 right. gigs of disk? Like, so where is everything? I- exactly. Or now, even is- just how, you know, can you tell me when disk space is low? Because that's like a little alarm that you never, ever get. You know yeah, what I mean? It Until it crashes. Yeah. You ran into this late, lately, didn't you? Oh, this was while we were on the road trip. While we were on the road trip. While we were on the road trip. My, my exchange, you know, I'm crazy. I run my own exchange server in my server closet at home. So we start with, you have a server closet at home. And <laughs> don't do that. May, yeah. You stop that. That's not right. You could have had a cloud. I could have, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just good experience to, to exercise using these tools. You know, and I've, I still come to the realization that the only piece of software from Microsoft that I truly fear is Exchange. Uh, really? <laughs> so here's what happened with Exchange is mail just stopped coming into my inbox, coming into all the inboxes of the Exchange server I own. Right. That's no, the symptom. No errors. Right, no crashes. The server's running. I can get to it. I can send mail, no problem. No mail's coming in, and I finally mm. RDP into the server to look around. And there, in the event log, is you're low on disk space. We won't be delivering any more mail now. Yeah. So I, for that exact reason, I, I'm I haven't uh, I'm actually sitting next to my rack with my Exchange server in it, um, and I'm in the process of upgrading my drives to two terabyte SATA drives, nice. even though they're they're slower. Because the system came with 15k drives, 
but it's I just need that much more space. So I right now I've got 400 gigs free, and soon I'm going to have 3.8 gigs free, uh, terabytes free. That somehow you'll get by with that. Thing. I think so. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I just I love the it, fact that two of us on this, this show right now run our own exchange servers. Yeah, I know better. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I, you know, I never did that, and I and there's good reason for it because everyone I know who runs Exchange has slightly less hair than I do. <laughs> I'm actually looking to get an alternate site. I may be putting a rack in um, at my nephew's house so that because uh, he works at DTS, so that we can do um, some of the more advanced. Um, high availability stuff. Right, D- distribute over to that one as well. Yeah, the problem with that is the um the the you need an, another computer to to form the quorum. Right. And so I'm wondering, you know, do I create a third site because it's site to site. Right. Do I create a third site or do I I just put a witness on each of the uh, as a VM in each of the systems? Yeah, I I, I like the mutual witness approach just because the, that way there's no single point. Well, but you then get the thing is, what if the network link goes down? Then both sites think they're the only one alive. Right, and then all hell breaks loose. Right, so that's the one <laughs> scenario I'm still trying to, to fight with. You um, know, uh, for me, running out of disk space, so we were in Atlanta, so I had to do this all remotely. I'm running my Exchange server as a virtual machine. So literally, I was able to go into SCVMM and say, give that, that virtual machine another 20 gigs of disk space. And it went, okay, and then stuff just started working again. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love virtualization. Well, the I've fact been, that Exchange didn't drop any mail, it was just holding it all in a queue. It's just that pushing it out to the individual boxes eats a lot more disk space than holding it in the input queue. Well, hmm. I use a mailbag. I, I have a hosted server right. at um, uh, one of the, the hosting facilities, and uh, we just have a mailbag. So it goes in there, and if, if I have to reboot the server, I don't miss any mail. Right. Um, so this has turned into a run-ass show, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really has. <laughs> <laughs> well, so back to what you were asking. So, so NTP's, uh, you know, storage M&A and soon-to-be file reporter product is actually quite cool because it's now, it, right now it reports on Exchange and on, on the file system. It's not for users for their desktop. It's for the enterprise. Right. Um, and they're adding um, features like, or, or at least on the roadmap, they have features like SharePoint uh, and some really, really cool stuff. And, and they've really gotten the whole design paradigm of, you know, getting the information quickly. I'm, I, I've actually got to see a pre-release version of the, the software just because I'm, I'm in the developer's area all the time. And it looks looking very slick. So that's where I cut my teeth on um, product management. Yeah. Um, you know, commercial product management. Pat, what were the um, what was what was some of the? I mean, you did a lot of security work where you went into companies and did um, an, an analysis to find out where their you know vulnerable points are and try to beef them up a little bit. Yeah. Do you have any? And I know this is you know you don't want to give names or anything, but are there any really truly scary stories? So it depends on what spectrum. What? Yes, there are. <laughs> the you have any you can share? I do. I'll just protect the names of the guilty. Right. Um, so it depends on what what level of the spectrum you want to be on, because there's there's both extremes. There's um, there's the major major company um, that I went to back in the early days of SQL, back in when SQL six five was new, and um, they said the the administrator that I talked to, the database administrator, called because. They they were really thinking about getting rid of Microsoft SQL Server and going back to Ingress or Informix or whatever they were on before that. And um, the reason was because they said they you know the system was unstable. It wasn't 
reliable. It, it you know, was losing data. And I'm like, SQL what? doesn't lose. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. SQL doesn't lose data. Uh, yeah. And and I I had been teaching SQL um, back to the you know four two days I taught I taught SQL Microsoft SQL Server at Sybase back in the four two days um, so I'd been around the block for a while and I went in and the administrator I talked to was very nice and had a lot of experience with the old database system and no training whatsoever on Microsoft SQL Server. Right. And the and the first thing that struck me is this is this has been the Achilles heel for Microsoft SQL Server. From since then and and is today, which is no one ever lets anyone touch an Oracle server unless they've got a certificate. Right. They've gone to training. They've you know been read the Riot Act. They you know you you have to apprentice typically before you get to to actually touch the production Oracle server. But but you know the the temp gets to you know be the administrator of the SQL server because they've made the interfaces so easy. Yeah, and, and there's another side of this, which is if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you get nowhere with Oracle. You can't even get started. Right. It, it's just it, impenetrable. And you can fake your way through enough SQL Server to get something that seems like a database, even though none of the things that are important to a database, like reliability and so forth, are working. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's exactly Details. <laughs> well, it, it's been a great strength for Microsoft because it's opened it up to people who would never have touched databases. Right. But it's also... Microsoft gets blamed for all of the these horror stories. So hopefully, hopefully we'll shed some light on this one. So you'll love this. The the company was full of scientists, um, a lot of you know four hundred technical users who weren't techies but had advanced degrees. Man, scientists. Degrees. What do they know? Exactly. <laughs> well, they know they know how to do a little SQL that drops tables. Right. And it turned out that when I started talking about security models, this administrator said. I don't, well, yeah, we have a security model. Everybody has to log in to get to the system. I said, oh, okay, good. You know, where, how are you doing that? Are you doing that through Windows? Are they, you know, log in? She says, SA. Nice. They all have to log in with SA. They all logged in. They had 400 users logging in with SA, and they were wondering why some data was missing. Right. Well, because some people were learning how to delete things. So, (laughs) so that was, you know, one, and, and, you know, we saved it. SQL Service stayed their, their, uh, their database, and actually, they're a very, you know, they're a very big customer of Microsoft now. And at that time, they were just trying it out. This was when Microsoft was just starting to get street cred in uh, in enterprise. Yeah. So that was actually a fun one. Um, then there's the other side of the extreme. There was a company we dealt with um, that I really enjoyed dealing with, um, and I probably got to call them back now. Um, who we did security audits pretty pretty regularly, and um, they were. So rabidly security conscious. I, I haven't seen that since I was visiting the Marines in Quantico. Nice. Wow. Um, they were, they, you know, they, their information on their network was the business. If someone broke into the database, if someone got their information, they were out of business. It right. wasn't, it wasn't a question. Just the fact that someone got in made them out of business. Hmm. And so they, they took it very seriously. They, um, they didn't allow people at their desktop to have internet access. Wow, that's everyone pretty had, rabid. Everyone had to forward emails going outside the organization to the security guy. He would then send wow. them outside the organization. Yeah, they were a they live were really, firewall. Yeah, yes, yes. Right. And he was he was he was uh, he's a real good guy actually. Uh, but the, it, what it meant is people only sent email outside the organization if they really really needed to. Yeah, and there was no you know hey 
how do you like them Mets or anything like that going on? At least they don't have the problem of employees surfing porn while they're trying to be work while they should be working. You know exactly. Yeah, that just didn't happen. Um, or uh, distraction in general. I mean, that's yeah, really what I mean. Yeah. They were the first company I I ever talked to that actually um, used super glue in their USB ports to block them. Whoa. Yeah, to keep yeah. them from yeah fill them with epoxy. They, they, Richard's and, nodding like he's heard of this. Oh, no, I have epoxied USB ports. You have. I've, I've also yeah. pulled floppy drives out of machines. I've stripped machines so that there's no physical way to remove data from the machine. Wow. I didn't so, know. That, what a great idea. I mean, I'm always all about the low-tech solution first, yeah. like like <laughs> lock your machine. Yeah, yeah, put it in a room with a lock. You yeah. know, Because well, it's only in the latest versions of Windows that they've actually gotten a, a workable solution for you can't transfer stuff onto a USB key yeah. and, and take it off site without anybody knowing. So tell and me be- about that. What is that? How, how do you do that today? Yeah. That's, yeah. They, there are new group policy rules inside of Windows 2008 and, and Windows 7 wow. where basically anytime, you, anytime a USB key gets plugged in and out of a machine, it, it writes a record out. So we have a clear audit trail of you plug the USB key in then and, and so What about on. if you just, you know, press F8 while you're booting up and go to a command prompt and go to your hard drive and start copying files? Yeah, you can lock all that down too. And, and actually these days NTFS is pretty good about you, you can't boot a drive from another machine and get access to the files. Hmm. Yeah, I should listen to Run As Radio more often, I think. <laughs> Although every, you know... The Achilles heel of every security mechanism is physical possession. If I, yeah. if, a, if a hacker physically possesses the machine, you could build as many impediments as you want, even it, BitLocker. It's just time. It's just time. Yeah, yeah. you, you, with BitLocker, I think that's probably the big, the big gun. Yeah, yeah. Once if if BitLocker's done right now, you're in the. I will crack this. It may take a quadrillion years, but I will crack. Now, BitLocker yeah. is one of those tools that shipped in Vista, and everybody was so busy throwing rocks at Vista that I never even really understood it was. Really it was. Only, but it was only in the Enterprise and Ultimate Edition. Yeah, anyway. and so yeah. is BitLocker essentially just a way to say this... Encrypt pre- my hard drive. Well, is it... I, I, I thought it is a good way to say, maybe it's just one of the things that it does, saying this folder right here, I want only me to be able to access it. NTFS does that. Yeah, it's more of a... Um, my disk is encrypted. If you don't actually know the right way to access this, you can't see anything. My disk is a, a pile of goo if you don't know the, the secret sauce. But if isn't the secret sauce just being able to log in? I mean, yeah. how much more? It is. How much more does it have than NTFS? Well, in NTFS, I could still see the directory, but I would get an access denied if I tried to look at the directory. Well, that's with, if you're logged in as someone else. So with with X, with X, with when, um, without BitLocker, I can boot to an alternate operating system and I can see the whole drive. Right. With BitLocker, uh, I boot to an alternate oper- operating system and I see an unformatted. Well, I think it still shows up as formatted, but I see a drive with randomness that I can't interpret. And it doesn't interpret it as a disk error and say, "Do you want to format this drive because it's messed up?" I don't think so. I don't actually. Actually, it will. It's, it's, really? Yeah, I don't understand this format. Do you want to reformat? It? Whoa! Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. That's not very um, smart. Well, that's pretty effective. Actually, it keeps your data protected. <laughs> yeah, well, unless somebody formats it by mistake. No. Yeah, I'd rather you, they format it than steal it. Yeah. It must have been those scientists. What do they know? You, know, right. you reminded me when you're talking about a group of scientists that some of the toughest customers I've had to deal with have been like a company of engineers where they just have a little too much computer skill per user. 
Yeah, I, I was being facetious, by the way. Yeah. I don't know about you, but it, it, I love scientists. <laughs> but it's a, I am a scientist. It's these very intelligent people who who presume that they would know their way around all this stuff, right? And uh, yeah, and get that's, themselves that's, in deep trouble. That's a problem in general. I think. <clears throat> I think the culture matters. Um, there's. I've been to places where the, the, it was a culture of mad scientists. <laughs> and where, this is on mad. Well, I, the mad scientists, uh, you know, I, when I visit customers, I usually try to characterize this culture because the culture says a lot about what, what happens that shouldn't happen behind the scenes. Uh, like, you know, do people take, do people take production systems back home to work on? You know, is, is somebody mm. liable to, to take a copy of the backup tapes home? Right. With mm. them just because, uh, they, they didn't have enough storage in the server and those kinds of things. Um, because culture is a big part of security, because the real weak point now, is, as, as Richard pointed out, the people are the biggest weak point now. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the Haystack Code Generator for .NET, code generation on steroids. Want more control over your code gen? Want your code generator to give you Silverlight 4, WPF, and ASP.NET CRUD screens? The Haystack Code Generator for .NET will generate entity, data, and business rule classes for all your SQL Server and Oracle tables, views, and store procedures. Haystack generates ASP.NET, WPF, and Silverlight user controls, view model classes, and WCF service layer classes for true end-tier applications. Check out CodeHaystack.com, download the user manual, and watch the videos for more information on this great product. They host a live webcast every two weeks. You can sign up at pdsa.com slash webcasts and see how Haystack will shorten your development cycle. Oh, yeah. The, mm. the, uh, was it a great XKCD, uh, cartoon, uh, wrench based security? It's like, I don't care <laughs> how good your encryption is when I can take a $5 wrench and beat a password out of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you've heard about the experiments <laughs> where there was a company, um, so Steve Riley talks about these things in his session on social engineering. I haven't, right. I haven't heard him do it in a while, but I really love that session. Uh, we're going to try to get him on lockdown to talk about that soon. Um, but the um, one of the things that, that the, the famous hacks is people will leave USB keys. Yeah, a guy it, scattered a bunch of USB keys in a parking lot. Of a bank. Yeah. And three people took it into the building and plugged it into a, to their client machine in the bank. Oh, and he ran a tracer. He had a program that ran that you know let him know the IP address and all the other information. Which also the- means that they were set up in deep by default. It auto ran the USB key, plugged it in, and yeah. looked for autoplay and ran it. Right. So that's uh, horrible. That's social engineering, though, that because it's not like he walked in the door, you know, went through the duct and uh, and was suspended by a wire to do it. He he used people's culture and and people's sense of things to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even a tough engineering job. Like, he didn't actually create incentives around the key. These were just blank keys laying on the ground, as opposed to, you know, put up a kiosk with, you know, install the, you know, get this USB key, you get this great stuff. So right, that you actually right. create some incentive around it. Yeah. Yeah, no incentive required. The incentive is there's something that might, you know. Ooh, I found something cool. I might be something hunting. delicious on yeah. this uh, little yeah. piece of. Oh, yeah, that's the. I love the social engineering thing, and, and unfortunately, we don't get to exercise it very often because most of the time when we talk to a client about um, a penetration testing or a security audit um, or in the aftermath of, a, of an attack, 
um, all they don't want to deal with the human factor because they're in denial. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest human factor is the internal users. I mean, the most likely person to to destroy a company um, through security breaches is an inter- is an employee that's been with the company over eight years. An inside job, really. So not even necessarily a let go employee, but an, a long term employee. Yes, it, it, the most likely person to carry out a million dollar. A hack that costs you a million dollars, whether they make a million or not off of it, is an employee, somebody in a position of trust who's been there for at least eight years. And is disgruntled? Yeah, or feels that, you know, it, they haven't gotten their due or is about to launch a competitor or, you know, was, was, was passed over for the promotion or the parking spot or for whatever reason. Or they just, they're just too comfortable. They know, they know where the security cameras are and they know where to stand to not be viewed because at one point, somebody brought him in and said, look, look at what the, well, how good these security cameras are. The only place we can't see is that corner. Pat, somebody's calling you instead of our hotline. Yeah, No, I no, know. no. The number is... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. Yeah. All okay, right. it stopped. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> Fooled you. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's, this is live radio. We can't edit that out. Yeah. No, it's going to be... I know. It doesn't matter. That's all right. Um, so one other thing, the, the, um, I had a conversation, I have a conversation pretty regularly with owners, business owners. Uh, and, and I, I get to the point where most of the time it's, you know, you really should have backups. Uh, you know, you really should have a disaster recovery plan. Well, this company, the one I'm talking about, the rapidly security focused company, um, I really didn't, I had a, an, an hour meeting with the owner of the company. And, um, at, at that meeting, I, it's usually a very private meeting because we're going to talk about very sensitive security stuff. Sure. And um, in this meeting, I actually got to my ultimate question, which is uh, a question that I've only been, I've only gotten to in a couple of cases because most of the time the, it, they can't get to that point because they've got so many smaller stumbling blocks to right. deal with. And it was, look, you know, you have a really great company from a security perspective. We found a couple of things. Your your staff was horrified by them, and they fixed them immediately. It, so you need somebody to come in periodically, even if you're rapidly security conscious, just to make sure you didn't overlook something. But but honestly, there were two big suggestions I had for him. And one is, if you want to increase physical security, because they had one of those double security doors with sign-in. Sorry about the background phone. They had one of those double security um, doors with sign-in. And um, what they ended up doing was, they, you know, they had really good physical security. The, the, we told them that they had to add, in order to increase physical security, they should add an armed response team with shotguns. Nice. Just re- briefly, we did have a tweet from Chris Lowe, who suggests the, the book The Art of Intrusion by Kevin D. Mitnick. Oh, uh, Mitnick, yes. On Amazon. Is that a book that you have heard of or read? I've heard of. Um, I haven't read it yet. Uh, Mitnick is the, the, the original... Pretty much, hit. Captain Crunch is the original hacker from my my the lore that I've read. Um, he's the guy that found a whistle in a Captain Crunch box and figured out that he could unlock long distance tones by playing in the right key. It, it was the, the whistle that came. Was it twenty six hundred hertz or something, something like, like that? that yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. and the whistle that came in a Captain Crunch box did that. So you right. picked up a payphone, you blew this whistle, and you could make free calls. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, um, but but Mitnick is the first like actual hacker that. 
Um, and he's the one who chased. He, and he got caught and then were and, and it's like go to jail or work for the FBI kind of thing. And he ended up doing some time and now he's working. He's a white hat. He works on the other side. And he inspired millions of hackers everywhere to commit crimes be, as a way as a means to get a job. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he was, <laughs> Which, by the way, the doesn't really happen anymore. So no. OK, now I uh, want to get back to the armed response team right. with shotguns. Ah, uh, well, so I told them, I said, you know, your physical security. Normally, I have to say say things like, you know, you really should have your servers in a room that locks. Nice. Um, and you know, you really should um, you, you should have some security. You should start. You should take down the pads of paper with the passwords on them in the server room. So yeah. mm. I'm almost always dealing with this incremental stuff because usually security is so bad. Uh, but this company challenged me because. They were so good. They're, they're the best we've ever done a security audit for, other than the government. I have to say the military... Um, are in their own league. It, the, because they do have armed <laughs> response teams. Yes, they really and, do. And I've been part of them in the past. So <laughs> They scale uh, down the walls. So I've been on Fort Knox. I've been down at Quantico. I've been, I've been to a lot of places. That so that's mil- what you military. were doing in Iraq, an armed response team. That's a heck of a security <laughs> breach. Yeah, Put I down that USB key. <laughs> Yeah, the Republican guards be- bre- tried to breach our security, so I had to go after them. Um, <laughs> so, Drop that keyboard. <laughs> um, anyway, so then the uh, so that was one suggestion, and they actually considered it. They actually thought about it. So um, the next thing was I had a, a very sober conversation with the, pre- with the owner. I said, "Look, you know, you have a disaster recovery plan that is, you know, to be to be lauded." And, um, you know, you've got this covered, you've got this covered, and there's one area you, I haven't seen anything about that most companies have never faced. And, the, and he was caught by surprise. He's like, that can't be true. We've thought this through completely. We I thought said, of everything. I said, if, if you've, you've planned for if the building is destroyed, you've planned for if the infrastructure is wiped out, but you haven't planned, as far as I can tell, for what if 80% of your staff is dead? Uh, the, wow. uh, the, the, the 9-11 scenario. Up. Yeah, and and I and he said, oh, and I said, you know, you know, you have to either accept that you're out of business, or you have to figure out, you know, where you're going to get the people at your disaster recovery site that can be trained quickly, and what the training programs are going to be, and are you going to make videos, and and I started going through the process of, you know, what it would take to do that, and he's like, yeah, we're not, we're, we're out of business, and that was his decision. Hmm. Chris Love says there's another book by uh, Mitnick, which is The Art of Deception, Controlling the Human Element. Yeah, that's the the social engineering side. That's the, yeah. But I thought it was actually, you know, in in some ways I could understand if he said either, like, well, we'd want to uh, continue the company for the survivors and the families of those who were gone, or like they did in 9-11 with some of the companies, from my understanding, or to say, you know what, if, if we lose the people, then the company doesn't mean anything. But it, it was funny because I, it was, those are the two ultimate questions that I've only been able to ask. I, only, I try to work them in for companies that want, like, the whole view, like, oh, you really want to know everything that's involved? Okay, here's, the, here's the, everything you need to think about, and here's the ultimate question. And um, but that was the first one, first time I ever had to confront that with a client. It and that was, was uh, very interesting. Yeah, and I'm thinking of the. It was Cantor Fitzgerald was the company in the World Trade Center that had top floors of one of the buildings. Yep, and then and, they can, tried to continue the company um, to because they ostensibly. I, I don't know. I didn't really follow the story whether they actually were successful and they're they're still in business. Uh, but the, I know the CEO was on TV quite a bit saying, you know, we want to continue this so that we can 
take care of those who are left behind, that kind yeah. of thing. So, there, there is an interesting point uh, that is part of this. You know, this, I, I deal with the same thing when I was doing DR work around. Uh, um, we were, we were dealing with co- companies in in uh, the Caribbean and uh, being able to tolerate a hurricane. And there was a point where it's like there there is a point at, at the level of a hur- of hurricane damage where keeping your servers up is just no longer important. That was right. more about getting food. So isn't isn't that also on the scale of your shoes don't matter when you feel like you're going to throw up? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You worry about your shoes later. Yeah, we'll deal with that later. Hey, by the way, we have 22 listeners. Awesome. Yeah, it's like 2002 so, all over again. Well, you know, this is this is an odd time for people to be up on Saturday morning. I'm just listening to a technical show. No, I, I appreciate every uh, every one of them. And Thank Michelle's you very coming much. up next, so we got the security one two punch here. Well, we're yeah, do, you do. doing security where it belongs, right up front, so we can ignore it. <laughs> That's right. Get it out of the way, then we can if have some fun. If you're not nice, I'll send my arm response team. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so, like, let's do a little .NET related security here. Can we talk about the colossal failure that is Code Access Security? knew you were going to say that. Well, why shouldn't we? <laughs> why do we even need to talk about it? Doesn't it not exist anymore? Well, yeah, because didn't in .NET 4.0 it went away, right? First, well, it, it, at least it, ex- it existed for a couple of versions of .NET and been ignored, and now it's not in, you, you don't even need to ignore it. You can still use it if you want, but nobody's using it, right? It's not, they didn't take it out, did they? No, they didn't take it out. They did, they, what they did, and I'm simplifying, is they've subsumed it into the framework so that it's it's there and it's not so onerous for you to do the right thing. Right. Um, and it's not so easy for you to do the wrong thing. Uh, the, problem, the problem with Code Access Security was um, it was the high-tech, you know, security system that people buy. You know, we spent $5,000 on the security system. We've got motion detectors in every room, and the baby would set it off every time we, in, we armed it. Right. So we stopped arming it. Yeah. And then, and then we found that we wanted to put ceiling fans in all the rooms, and we found those would set it off, and so we didn't arm it. And, and so what happened, what got in the way of, of uh, Code Access Security was living. Yeah, and as long as you didn't run any programs, Code Access Security worked great. It was great, yeah. Um, <laughs> I liked it. I, I actually, I, I, I thought it was great. I, I attended, when it was first came out, I attended a session by Yuval Lowry, uh, Lowy, um, that was great. He talked about things that I hadn't thought about, like his his stat, stance on code access security is, um, or was back then, that you should remove all the default security and just add what you need. Right. Which was something that I, I, I'm a little pissed off didn't occur to me <laughs> before he said it. Well, remember, um, that was before XP Service Pack 2. Yes, which was you know which got rid of all those security problems or fixed yes. all those security problems and and that was the also the what was it, it was the def, the default in Vista wasn't it that uh, no no in 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 Windows Server it was the default in Windows Server that yeah. everything was locked down by default out of the box nothing was enabled you had to what was it server 2003 2000, that started that yeah it really yeah. got into that the final yeah. stuff was off by default instead off of by on. default yeah. and then and then IIS followed suit in in, uh, in 2008 hey i got to give IIS another 7. shout out to chris love who sent us another tweet he says eating breakfast listening to dnr live reading blogs getting a dnr live shout out priceless Excellent. a true fan there you go that's 
That's an awesome weekend. I, today's my 22nd wedding anniversary, so... What oh, do you do? Congratulations. Uh, Your wife must I'm, be real happy about what you're doing right now. She, she, she's come to accept that you guys are a part of my life. Uh, oh. <laughs> we'll give her a big hug for us. I will, I will. Don't forget the flowers. Years, uh, we're going to go up to the White Mountains, uh, take the dogs, and, you know, go see the, our favorite cover. That's right. You're in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And we're going to DVR the uh, soccer game and not and avoid anyone who t- tries to tell us the score and kill anyone who actually succeeds. <laughs> oh, by the way, Arm I have... response team. I have uh, ESP. Would you like to know the outcome? Uh, US 5. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a big big soccer fan. When it, it's the only sport I watch. Stay away um, from the psychics. I've been, co- I've been coaching for about 11 years. Wow. Uh, oh, really? Team. Yeah. My daughter's a big... My daughter's going to Dublin. My youngest daughter's going to go to Dublin um, this fall to study in uh, American College Dublin, right by Trinity College in, in downtown Dublin. And uh, we're dropping her off, and she's going to be playing soccer over there. And my oldest is actually in Munich right now, and she's probably never going to come home. Yeah, like yeah. I said, Munich is a great place. Yeah, it's not surprising that she would fall, especially in the, in the fall. Just saying. Yeah, she, well, she's literally she's a senior this year, and she said she's found her her uh, she was going to do. Her master's in London or, or someplace else in like Czech Republic, and now she's uh, found her school in Munich. So I worked with a friend of mine who, um, who, got, who gave her an internship over the summer. Well, and you spent some time in Germany too. Oh, yeah. I've spent a lot of time. We go over every year. My wife's from Germany, and uh, I spent three years in the service over there. Well, two and a half, uh, I guess it was three years because six months, the last six months was um, in Iraq. Right. And yeah, and so it may, you've got a family connection, really, to, to Germany. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're really tight with it. Uh, we, we haven't visited. Every year, somebody comes over and spends a couple of weeks during the fall, and we go over every year and spend a, a week or two. And I also have business in Europe as well. Are there any good German restaurants in New Hampshire where you are? There's one. There used to be one. Well, it was right on the state line, uh, but I think it went away. And then there's a new one that my um, my sister-in-law and my nephews went to, uh, that they really liked, so I've got to check that one out. But my, my wife's a great cook as well, so my, I, I'm big on the German food. My uh, ex-wife's um, grandfather uh, frequented one of the oldest um, restaurants in Springfield, Massachusetts, called The Fort. And uh, really? it may be the, old, the oldest restaurant in Springfield, Massachusetts. But wow. a German restaurant, um, when you walk in, there are steins, all along a ledge on the ceiling. And, yeah. Like the guy's got a serious Stein collection. And not only that, but all sorts of plates and armor and, you know, swords yep. and any yep. anything that's made of pewter, pretty much. <laughs> it's in, it's <laughs> in this building. Yeah, and and he's got, uh, or he, he, he died, but he had, uh, I, maybe they still do, a security system with laser beams that goes across the ceiling, you know? So it always reminded me of like a, a jewel <laughs> heist, you know, when you walk in there. What this, his friends used to like take their dinner napkins and throw, toss them up in the air to set off the alarm. <laughs> you come running out from the kitchen. This is Stein defense, off. right? Yeah, exactly. Just defending the Steins. But, no, you know, no. great. And, I, you know, this is the live weekend, so we can diverge into stuff like this. Great, you know, red cabbage and Wiener schnitzel and... I like Jaeger schnitzel. Jaeger schnitzel. Jaeger schnitzel is a Wiener schnitzel, a breaded pork cutlet, pork loin sirloin cutlet, actually. That's um, it's got a a a uh, mushroom sauce, a brown right. mushroom sauce called 
hunter sauce. Jaeger, it means hunter. Yeah. So a Jaeger schnitzel is a hunter's schnitzel. They're really wow. good. That's my favorite. Um, there's a couple of the. So Jaegermeister literally means mushroom man? <laughs> no, it's no. hunting. The, the, the hunt leader. Oh, hunter. Hunting master. Hunting yeah. master. Okay. Yeah, Jaegermeister. I speak German. Okay. <laughs> I think Jaegermeister is like the nastiest cough syrup kind of crap people like, but I, I can't stand it. But So I, I've been to a couple places in Germany where the locals come in and their stein is in the beer hall and they take it out of a cubby. They, they bring it down to fill with beer and use. Exactly. Yeah, Storing that's, that's, your own cup at your favorite <laughs> restaurant. Now yep. you're talking. That's yep. cool. Yeah. That, that's, uh, so that, that's what the, uh, the guy should have done, is have everybody bring their own stein, and then he could decorate with someone else's stuff. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're always thinking. There you go. I, I must uh, admit, Pat, that I am a big fan of the hunter sauce mm. and the uh, pork schnitzel and, and Schweinhock, which is the pork knuckle, Yeah, which is, sounds nasty, but that's where all the really delicious kind of meat is. If it's so I, have you ever had wild boar? I know a few wild boars, but no. <laughs> nice. So it's actually like, you know how you've got dark meat and chicken and light meat and chicken? Yeah. Wild boar is like the dark meat pig. It's all dark meat. Whoa. The whole thing. Yeah, it's really good. You ever smoked a wild boar, Richard? I've not smoked a wild boar, but I have Something to put one. on your list. Yeah. No, we've done the rotisserie of a boar. Really? Yeah, it's a good way to cook it because you've got to cook it slow, right? But it's not, it's not like... The traditional barbecue inside of a smoker. It's uh, it's so on you the put spit, a wild boar on a spit rotating. and turned it over a fire yeah. for you know twelve hours. That's well, seriously medieval. I have done some pig roasts. Yes. Well, so so is Carl. I was at uh, actually one of the only that pig was roasts his I've ever birthday. Been to. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. My fortieth birthday, we had a pig. Not on a spit though. It was no. it was smoked. It was done. Uh, done okay, very nicely. it was good. Um, so. So Michelle's your next guest. That's interesting. I saw you've got Charles Petzold. You've got a very interesting cast of characters. Yeah, it should be a good weekend. Um, like I say, you know, we're, we, we're not, it's not going to be all business. Uh, we just sort of want to shoot the breeze. And, and the, the real idea of the, the live weekend is to get people out there listening to, to, to talk back to us. I mean, all of our guests have been on the show before. So in some recently... So it's a good opportunity if people have questions about uh, some of the stuff that we've been talking about on .NET Rocks for you to call oh, yeah. in and ask. I think that's great. Is there a is there a way to um, to podcast stream it? So if you you know, is there a podcast subscription or you got to be on the internet and live stream it? For this weekend, you have to listen live. But um, we are recording the shows, and they will become Thursday shows for the next thirty five weeks. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, well, we are excellent. we are racking and stacking the content this weekend. Nice, so very nice. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna change up the dynamic a little bit. Cool. Are you gonna you you have another one in the in the in the plans maybe, or is this a one off? Well, we don't know. We're gonna see how uh, how well received it is and how people like the shows the second time around on .NET Rocks. I'd say 22 listeners at this time in the morning on a Saturday is pretty damn successful. <laughs> yeah, <so>. I think so. <laughs> Is your grandmother tuned in? Because that's who I thought was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a, a tweet from JRCS3. I like Texas schnitzel. Ooh. Are you going to talk food as a stock question? What is your favorite deep fried food? Mars bars, dude. No, I've, <laughs> I've never, never tried had a deep that. fried candy bar. I don't know. <laughs> I really uh, want to try one of those, though. I'll tell you what. I had uh, so Hannafin's Pub, 
is right downstairs uh, from us. And this is, you know, this sort of the studio hangout. It's like my den, you know. Mm. Anyway, they just moved to a new location right next door. They moved one door over, which is, and they built the bar to look almost exactly the same as the old one. So people oh, walk cool. in and they do a double take and they're like, wasn't this Would you, door? Did put a- where's <laughs> Where the, what happened to the, you know, it's great. I love watching people come up to the door outside. I'm sitting out on the porch and I'm just looking at them confused. Anyway, they have a, a deep fryer and uh, my band is actually, Salvo, my band, who you're going to hear on Monday. We're going to uh, be playing there every Thursday night doing this New Orleans night. So I got to sit down with the chefs and or the chef and talk about the food that they're going to serve because it's New Orleans food. And one of the things they're going to do is deep fried shrimp po'boys. Nice. Yeah. So oh. uh, they had never done that before. So I I went to the grocery store and I got some great ingredients and and they let me like cook up some po'boys. Well, po'boy is a sub or a hero. That's right. A po'boy is a grinder, which we call them here and in New London. And in in New England, or a submarine sandwich, or a hero, or a hoagie, or whatever you want to call them. But you basically take the bread and you grill it on the grill with butter, so it gets crispy and brown. You know, when you do that on a really hot grill, and so the bread is soft, but the the face of it is really crispy. And then you get deep fried shrimp, which are in a in a sort of a Cajun batter, a little spicy, a little spicy. Oh. And lettuce, tomato, and mayonnaise. And some people put like a remoulade sauce, which is a sort of, uh, if you could think of, sort of a little horseradishy, chili, uh, cayenne, you know, little little Cajun spice, mayonnaise base, a little ketchup, that kind of stuff. Remoulade. Put well, I, that was, on there. I was just in New Orleans eating yeah. po' boys. Yeah. Mm, I think I have to go eat breakfast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so my favorite deep fried food would have to be scallops. Really? Deep fried well, scallops? They just, I love fried scallops. I don't eat them very often, but it's my favorite deep fried food because it just, it's just something about the combination of the, of frying a scallop that, that makes it really great. Yeah. Scallops are good. Now, do you like bay scallops or sea scallops? Because the uh, bay either. scallops are the little ones, right? And the sea scallops yeah. are the big ones. Um, I'll, I'll usually eat the sea scallops as an entree, but the bay scallops as a side. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, uh, didn't talk a lot of security today. Yeah, well, we? no, we did a little we bit. Did. We got but, a little so, bit. in term, in five minutes or less, you know, as a as a developer, and let's say that you're using, um, I don't know, Team Foundation system or TFS, and and you're using Team System tools uh, in Visual Studio. Is there anything in particular that you need to be worried about? As a as a developer, that falls outside the realm of development IT. Yes. So the and I, I find as we start doing the the lockdown shows on security that I'm I keep saying the same thing and I'm trying not to say it without sounding like a broken record. But I've discovered that I that the most important thing is the threat model, and it's something that almost no one does, and that is. If you if you don't have a threat model, if you don't know what you're worried about, like everyone knows what they're physically worried about. I'm, I'm worried about driving over a bridge and not being able to get the family out of a car. I'm worried about, you know, spiders eating me in the night. I'm worried about whatever you're afraid of, you know that personally. Developers have to develop the same kind of well-developed 
threat model in their mind relative to their systems, or companies need to do it more exactly based on a project basis, because otherwise you're at the whims of all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that everybody's broadcasting. Yeah. Um, my my brethren in the security space, and we're trying we're trying very hard, and I think we're we're going to be heroically successful of not bringing any fear mongers on the show, mm. um, because there's a lot of people out there who just want to wave the banner of, you know, this is going to get you killed, and you know, right. It's the it's the same thing the news does is your lettuce may be killing you. Details yeah, at 11. That's right. They have a product or a service to sell and yeah. the way they do that is by Making scaring you, you into yeah. buying it. Yeah. Right. Now, that that's not to say that letting someone know what a vulnerability could be is, but but it's almost always overhyped. Right. You have um, to give it a proper put it in proper perspective. Right. So, um which is unpopular for the sales staff. <laughs> um I think if you, but if you understand, if you have a well-developed threat model, then you understand, it, it gives you a spam filter on that stuff. You know what? That doesn't matter to me because it's not part of my threat model because my threat model lies in this area. Yeah. You know, I'm more worried about social issues, not that encryption issue because I've already, I've already managed that in my threat model in this way. And, and what I find is most applications don't have one. And it's something you can develop most of the time, 90% of the way before the application's even developed because you, you understand how it's going to be deployed, you understand how it's going to be used, you understand where it's going to be deployed. Even if you don't know where the buttons are going to be, you can, you can come up with a very good threat model for an application or for a system, and then you can apply that as a spam filter to all the other security issues that come up. Okay. Pat, it's been a pleasure having you as the first guest on our live weekend, very appropriately so. Woohoo! And uh, we're going to take about a, a 10 minute break, and we'll be back at about 9.05 with Michelle LaRue Bustamante. So, Pat, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. And before we go, shout out to uh, Jer O'Donnell or Gare O'Donnell, not sure if it's a hard or soft G, who says by email, not just all breakfast listeners. We're listening here in sunny Cork, Ireland. Sounding good, guys. Awesome. All right, we'll be back in 10. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.